Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 48 to Cape Town. Hi, Alex. Cape Town, man. That's a place. That is a place. Beautiful. Have Especially this time of year when it's, what is it, like two degrees in London right now and it was 28 degrees down there. Ah, oh, God. I'm so jealous. You've just been there. I just got why, back. Yep. Oh, which man. is why we've chosen that, that. I mean, it's not your first time. I mean, you, you know South Africa pretty well. I've actually never been, so the end of the show will be totally yours. I've, I don't know. I have any idea about an airport. And also, the way you got there is very interesting. We also get uh, there later in the show. First, a personal note, I just wanted to thank all our listeners because I've gotten, literally gotten dozens and dozens of messages of condolences for my That's dad's really thing. It's, yeah, really, I got emails and Twitter DMs and Facebook messages, etc. I mean, guys, thank you so much. It was a, it's a bit overwhelming, but thank you. I, I love you guys. That was uh, really kind of you guys. Talking about kindness, another kind of kindness, we also got, and I forgot to mention that in the last episode, other reviews on uh, iTunes. More five stars. We only have five stars for the wow. moment. <laughs> it's like Uber. You know, you don't want to get yeah. the rating down or something. <laughs> Great podcast by Domenico. Uh, Dave says, these guys know their stuff and add great personality and insight. Archie says, favorite aviation podcast. I'm a big fan of aviation geeks and APG, but these guys take first place. Wow, thanks wow, a lot. That's that's really... And we also got a mention in Travel Massive in their new newsletter, the second newsletter they ever released. Do you secretly search a YouTube for 777X versus A350? The layover podcast is absolutely for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's that's very kind, guys. I mean, um, we're, we're doing our best. And we, like we said, we're, we're promising you that this year we'll record more regularly than we did at the end of last year. If you're a traveler, good luck. We're recording today. It's February 10th, 2017. If you're traveling BA, there's still a lot of strikes around. So avoid flying BA. I mean, I love those guys, but uh, <clears throat> oh, yeah. the, it's they're becoming the Lufthansa of last year uh, and two years ago because they are having literally strikes every other week or so. The other thing, uh, if you're a traveler in the US, uh, these days on the East Coast, uh, there's a lot of snow. I think that more than 3,000 flights were canceled, I think, yesterday, Thursday, and more are forecasted to be canceled today, Friday. But of course, the big news about, uh, especially the East Coast, although it also happened in other parts of the US, but that big story about the travel ban, the executive order by the Trump administration, that, was, that created a little bit of chaos in airports in the US. Right now, the ban is suspended. It's been again suspended. We heard just this morning that the second hearing of the courts, they uh, still uh, got ahead with the suspension. It probably will go to the Supreme Court, but for the moment, you can travel, but... For a while, it was a bit of a of a mess, right? Yeah, it, I, you know, and setting politics aside, uh, yeah, of course. talking purely about the logistics, yeah, because it's kind of been on again and off again and kind of hastily implemented, there were massive practical ramifications for a lot of people, both travelers and the airports themselves, and not to mention all the logistics to handle protests, which, you know, it, it is what it is, but it's caused a lot of disruption and a lot of heartache, and I don't think that we've seen the end of it. My father's in town at the moment. We were talking about this this morning that a lot of people are second guessing their choices about taking their holidays in the US because they don't want to get caught up in this if they have been to one of these countries or they were born there or whatever, you know, may actually affect them one way or the other, irrespective of where they're coming from. So it's yeah. a strange times. Yeah, because for a while it was also a certain, I mean, the, first of all, the big issue was obviously for green card holders that could have been hit. So if you were a green card holder, so you're legal, lawfully resident in the US, having a double nationality out of the seven countries concerned that you'd be in holidays, you could be banned from coming back, which yeah. is quite quite big. But as you say, it was really uncertain because the executive order didn't mention the fact that just having been to one of these countries could be a problem. And even I think it was the Danish former prime minister or minister of the interior, I don't remember, 
remember which ministry it was for, was uh, questioned upon his arrival in the U.S. and they wouldn't want to let him in just because he had been to one event, uh, one United Nations event in uh, Iran, actually. So it's, uh, I, I would understand that second guessing. I mean, I'm planning to go to Iran this year, for instance, and I know that it would for sure make uh, me lose my ESTA waiver program. So basically the fact that as a non-U.S. citizen, I can go in the U.S. without having to request a visa, which is not a problem because then you go to the embassy, get your interview and get a B1, B2, at least for someone like me. But now you're like, oh, well, but just the fact that I would have been there, maybe people would actually, you know, second guess me. When well, I get exactly, the because, it, <sighs> because it's so loosely defined and there is so much room for interpretation. And I think, you know, it was really interesting, actually, a, a border agent did a impromptu AMA on Reddit and you know, they had no preparation for this. And, you know, you feel bad for those folks that have actually got to be the ones that say, yeah, you know, Agreed. come with me, please. And because it's subject to interpretation, you have people of the same status who have been to the same country or were born there or whatever, basically the same person would be free to go through LAX, for example, but then detained for six hours in JFK. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, a... it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Right now, this is suspended. So actually, airlines have been, uh, I've heard calling passengers that were denied to say, hey, you can fly now. (laughs) So like reboarding them and taking them there. And also, uh, some airlines had to shift personnel, uh, yeah, Emirates. personnel. Uh, Emirates was one of them. Uh, I mean, Emirates is big enough so that it wasn't too much of a problem. They just shifted personnel. I'm thinking that probably smaller airlines, although there are many, even like Qatar that only has like probably 10 flights going to the U.S. or something, yeah. they must have been very careful of not having their personnel stranded in the U.S. or detained even whilst the ban was up. Yeah, exactly. I think they had to scramble hugely to reassign flight deck crew and cabin crew. Just as, I mean, it was a very sensible thing for them to do as a precautionary measure because the last thing you want to do is have them kept, you know, detained or or just not want to go, you know? Yeah. In the same breath, uh, we heard more and more stories about uh, U.S. airlines going to Trump and his administration and say, hey, we should do something about the ME3 and we should do something about Norwegian. And uh, we mentioned that in the last episode, it was just a thought, but now I've seen many articles. Actually, the three U.S. airlines had a meeting at the White House there's not much words to what happened with the meeting. Obviously, they must have asked the same thing that they used to ask, which is, hey, these guys are subsidized. Please do something. Do not allow them more landing rights. Block them, blah, blah, blah. We'll see. But this is a trend. This is where it's going. Yeah, the only thing that I saw concrete that came out of that was a quote from Trump about the equipment that the airports provide them and how antiquated it is, which is sort of, yeah, but whatever. Very weird tangent. Whether anything concrete came out of it, I don't know. But... I'm sure that the ME3 and Norwegian and any other airline is going to be looking very closely at this to see what happens in the short term and the long term, because it could be hugely disruptive. Emirates added a new fifth freedom route from Europe, Athens to Newark. Uh, that's great news, especially for me. They fly to the triple seven. I am going back and forth to Athens these days because of my family matters. So I might actually take up the opportunity to try and go to Newark with Emirates. The EU doesn't like those particularly either because, you know, they say, oh, they're eating up our market. But um, I like yeah, those. That's come under Emirates, a lot of scrutiny. Here. That's come under a lot of scrutiny, hasn't it? And Tim Clark has had to come out and defend that particular route and that it's not just sitting on a slot or something like that. But, you know, you're already starting to see practical fallout of this relationship between the ME3 and the US. Emirates said a a flight was delayed because Delta withheld a $300 spare part and that caused a six hour mechanical delay. That's petty. Because Ted, Delta wouldn't sell it to them. It's it's petty and it's par for the course for Delta. And they're, you know, I think Delta feel like they have a little bit more momentum in there or wind in their sails, if you will. So we thought we'd heard the end of the story, but now it's reopened in a big, big way. You sent me that news that uh, Dubai International Airport would welcome a call from the Trump administration on ways to improve American airports. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was funny, very, very funny indeed. I think that was uh, very cheeky on their behalf. <laughs> on a more serious note, and back to Norwegian, there was quite a few articles, of course, these past days because Norwegian has gotten approval by the DOT. They are expanding their routes in the U.S. They make a few announcements as well. 
whilst at the same time this old noise of oh should we block Norwegian more is also gaining traction. There was an interesting quote here. The DOT said this case, Norwegian, is amongst the most novel and complex ever undertaken by the department, which shows that the delay was not only because they wanted to block, but because the, 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 the issue was not that easy because, you know, Norwegian has a very specific, let's say, uh, setup where they have, you know, it's a Norwegian airline, but they have different HQs to use different laws in Ireland, etc., yeah. etc., et uh, you know, and that was probably why also the DOT was looking into, uh, you know, labor contract and a flag of carrier, etc., Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, that was derided quite a lot on yeah. SNL and other shows these past uh, weeks, has indicated that the deal they've reached with Norwegian involves hiring a large number of US-based pilots and cabin crews. So Norwegian is making an effort, and it's not only in that statement from Spicer, but there's been a lot of announcements about opening new bases. They will open three. I mean, they already have one, two other bases for pilots in the US. So they're making an effort. The CEO, uh, his name is Bjorn Kios, I think. The CEO is pushing, saying like, yeah, we'll hire US employees. You know, the, he's trying to say that, look, we're going to do everything you guys want because we need those routes. He's under pressure. Absolutely. And that guy is no fool, the, the CEO of Norwegian. And I think he's been quite clever in the way that he's approached this. But it all depends on the whims of the Trump administration. No matter what they agree to on a Monday, it could all be undone on a Tuesday. And I think... The world is still getting used to that. But, you know, they've said that they're going to base themselves in the U.S. out of Providence in Rhode Island. Yes, that's one of the bases. Which is cool. You know, Providence is a great place and I think gives them much, much lower operating costs than if they were to pick, you know, any of the New York area. But it gives them access to the New York area, the Boston area, basically the Northeast. They said they were looking into a base around New York, greater New York area. And they are the other bases in uh, Fort Lauderdale, I think. Clever. I mean. Uh, that, yeah. Those make total sense. Yeah, they were looking at um, somebody will tweet us as soon as we put this episode live with the, with the New York base was. But I think they're being clever with it. And I think they just talked about recently um, opening in Argentina as well and with a flight yeah. carrier there. So, <laughs> you know what? It's 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 cool. Good for them. I like them. They are kind of blazing some very painful trails into the U.S. for foreign carriers. But long may it continue. I think the CEO had announced that he was looking into a price of $69 from Europe to the U.S. Yes, Honestly, exactly. I would welcome that. Hey, you know what? Good for that. If they can make it happen, then hooray. The other argument they have, they basically have Boeings. They have, I think, 20737s and 787s, so Dreamliners. And they have ordered like more than 100, maybe 120 or something. Uh, one of these, and that's uh, the one I want to talk about now, is the 737 MAX 8. Why? Because although the Dreamliner is smaller than the 777s and the big birds we see in the air... I think the MAX 8 has something, it's basically a 320 that will allow Norwegian to do, and others, to do transatlantic routes. So we'll have to get used to fly in a very small, narrow cabin plane to fly to the US, maybe. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, it's not much longer than doing a transcon in the US, and that is almost exclusively narrow body. Absolutely. I think it was, even with the, the stretch version, I think they were just, just under capacity for security. I think they need to have more fuel. And the MAX 8 resolved that. Of course, the the 320neo might as well, the 321 yep. as well. And I think Boeing is looking into doing a stretch version of the MAX 9 to compete with that 321neos. It's, it's an interesting time. It's because we will see more and more, like the Dreamliner, but even smaller aircrafts to do point-to-point, -point, even on intra continental routes, which was something we were not used to. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how they do the interiors and the hard product to entice people on. Is it going to mirror what they have in their 787s? Is it, is it going to have IFE or is it going to be a little bit more? I mean, for 69 bucks, I'm guessing probably pretty basic. <laughs> but who knows? I mean, who knows? Who knows? TAP, the Portuguese airline, is also buying 10 A321neos long range and they want to fly them to Brazil. So again, you know, small planes and they yeah. send to Brazil. So it's, a, it's an interesting trend, I believe. Uh, talking about interesting trends, since we're on these kind of low-cost, long-haul, how did you fly to Cape Town? We partnered with Thomas Cook. Tell me about that, because who is Thomas Cook? Because I'm sure that a lot of people who do not live in the UK might not know them. Yeah. Uh, especially outside of Europe. And I've never flown them. So we partnered with them to film an episode of Attaché in Cape Town. Thomas Cook are a hundred plus year old company 
that originally started with sort of package holiday and tourism. They are a sister company of, if not wholly owned subsidiary, of Condor, which is the big German outfit. German, yeah. The German um, but they've recently started selling just seats only on, on their airline, Thomas Cook Airlines, before it, the planes were filled with people who had bought a package holiday through them. They have short hauls, sort of Mediterranean and North Africa, that type of thing, but also a growing long haul fleet where they do in some places in, in the US, Caribbean, Mexico, and they just launched their Gatwick Cape Town direct route on an A330-200. And it's a great route because it's very underserved and it's also highly seasonal. A lot of people fly to Joburg, but hardly anybody flies to Cape Town direct anymore. You either have to go to Joburg and then down or fly on one of the ME3 and connect via Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Doha. It just launched in December. And so it was a timely journey for us as well. And it was great. We had, we had a lot of fun. They have a 242 economy and then a 232 premium economy, premium cabin. The planes were all about eight years old, but the interior is brand new. And it was, you know, IFE with, if you're in the premium cabin, everything's free. If you're in the back, you pay to access some of the content. Good moving map. Food was fine. It's a red eye. Actually, Greg, who does the show with me, flew down on the red eye, which is, I think it left at 10 o'clock at night and gets into Cape Town around 11 a.m. The next day is a long ass flight. And then I flew back on a red eye, which leaves at around 7 p.m. and gets in at 5 a.m. Greg did... And all dayer, which left at I think 10 a.m. Cape Town time, and got in at 7 p.m. UK time, and that's a long flight to do during the day, like 12 wow. hours. But it was <laughs> good. I mean, it was, I enjoyed it. I thought it was the seats were comfortable, the crew were exemplary, really attentive and assertive, and just very pleasant people to be around. So yeah, so it was good. You were in premium economy on one of the legs, I think. Yeah, both legs. We were in premium economy. That's, how how is that seat? Fine. Yeah, I mean, it, it's comparable to any other premium economy seat that I've been in. British Airways or Virgin, not quite as good as Cathay or Singapore Airlines. Yeah, but of course. Well, it's not the same. Not kind of... Nina and BA and Virgin aren't either. But yeah, it was fine. I slept a lot on the way back. Yeah, it was it was fine. Really, really yeah, good. I'll consider them because if you say that, I can now book them directly instead of ordering a package. Uh, well, since I'm due to a visit to South Africa, I might actually try that. Yeah, you should. Uh, I mean, they must be cheap as well, I think. It's Yeah, relatively. I think because there's not much capacity on that route, the prices are pretty, you know, they're not super cheap, but relative to the competition that they were very affordable. It is seasonal. I think they finished flying in March or April, but you'll have to check that. Basically, when the summer yeah, ends yeah. in South Africa. And it's, you know, it's a great excuse to get down to South Africa at this time of year when it's horrible and rainy and cold in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, you said, so did you have IFE or not? Yes. Yeah, so a reasonably sized screen, USB plug to charge. There was probably like 30 or 40 movies and TV shows. It's not nearly as comprehensive as some of the other carriers that I've been on, but for the premium cabin, it was all free and it was better than nothing. Uh, certainly better than nothing. Great moving map. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I always load up my, I've seen every movie that they have on airplanes because I travel far too much as I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, you're right the, the same problem. Yeah. So having the IFE there, nice big bright screen. Yeah, it was, it was fine. It was, it was absolutely fine. Lovely to have some more competition on that hugely underserved route. Hopefully the uh, incumbents will, you don't have to put up with them, frankly, now that's the good thing. Since we're an IFE, American Airlines just announced that they are ditching their uh, IFEs. I think it's mostly for domestic. They're ordering the new, uh, the ones I just mentioned, this, the 737s, 737s yeah. without IFE. Uh, Jetstars and others have already done it. I, I think, think it makes trend. sense. Yeah, it does. Like, it's not because, okay, we are outliers. We've seen every single movie on <laughs> IFEs. But anyway, you know, I, I just put stuff on my iPad and I watch, you know, the shows I want and that's it, right? And or some now you can use like the streaming Wi-Fi like I've tried with Lufthansa. It works pretty well. I it think works it's, really uh, well. I mean, you know, Southwest have it. it. For that short haul, it makes total sense. The big ones, the ME3 might keep it and others, but I, I still the trend is or the goes on the in the other I think direction. For long haul, it just it makes sense to have it built in, and people actually I think expect it as well. Yeah, but that's the thing. Coming back to what we just mentioned, uh, going to New York is it long haul? 
you know, some airlines might just say, you know, well, for six hours, we're not going to give it to you. Uh, talking to, of course, from London. Uh, we'll see. It's an interesting trend. I think uh, it's not uh, black and white, yeah. but we'll see less and less uh, of these. Talking about black and coming back to the US, but just north of the border, Canada. Air Canada just, uh, it was yesterday or this morning, just revealed its new livery. Um, of course, anytime there's a new livery, people are up in arms, blah, blah, blah. I personally didn't really like that bluish pale blue it was a strange uh, color yeah i didn't like it so the new one is a bit of a callback to both the 90s because the logo is back into a circle so the maple leaf is back into a circle it's still red and the belly of the plane and the tail is black i think black or maybe a very dark blue i'm not i'm not i'm not not entirely sure which is more of a callback to the to the 60s and 70s i do like it I like it too. And you're right. Every time there's a new livery, people are just you know, up in arms about it. But I think, you know, it's very deferential to the original, no, not original, but, you know, the deliveries of days gone by. There's a nice um, nod, I think, maybe this is my imagination, but I think there's a nice nod to Canadian Airlines. Uh, oh, you're right. I didn't the think old, about it. Wow, yeah. The old retired uh, Canadian Airlines with that dark blue and, the, you know, I think so. It's nice. I think everybody, uh, you know, has an opinion, but I think it's nice. And the fact that the maple leaf is back into a circle uh, reminds of the rondelle in French, like they say in Canadian French, which is the puck of a hockey. Of yeah. Course. Uh, <laughs> the, you can see it actually in the belly. So it's very nice because the, the belly is completely dark. And then you have right up in the middle this uh, logo. Uh, they've uh, shown it on the new Dreamliners, the Dash 8. Yes. They are also getting Dreamliners, which is uh, very nice. Tyler Brule is the guy responsible for that through his uh, company called uh, agency called Wing Creative. He's been doing lots of stuff in the airline industry. He is responsible for the new Skyline magazine of BA, which is a kind of a nod. Or you remember if you read it, and if you also read it from Motocall is yeah. in the publication, you can see can some kind of uh, definitely links there. Yeah, exactly. He's also been uh, doing work with Bombardier, obviously in Canada, Brisbane Airport, Porter Airlines, and, and others. But me, what I remember him from and where. I discovered his name was back in the days when he did the entire livery for Swiss. So Swiss Air uh, went bankrupt, uh, was grounded, and they hired him to do. And it was a bit of the same idea because he took back to the old days. So it, it was a remembrance of what Swiss Air was, whilst not fully being to it. I think it's what a bit what he he does. It's he likes going back to these type of designs we had in the seventies. And talking about that, my favorite part of the entire rebrand of Air Canada is the route map that will be located in the leaflet you have in front of every seat. It is an amazing callback to these route maps we had in the 50s and 60s. It's very square. The lines are very well defined. I, I really, really adore that. I'm a big fan of map. A lot of people use Pinterest to put stuff about, you know, weddings and stuff. My only board that I really do is maps. I do um, metro maps and route maps. British Airways co-created, co-wrote a lovely little book called Mapping the Airways, which is the evolution of... of maps and route maps and advertising of destinations over the years of Imperial Airways and BOAC and BEA and all the way through to BA. That's a beautiful book as well, if you're a map nerd. So (laughs) random, random fact about Air Canada, well, indirectly, Canadian Airlines was the first airline in the world to have a website. Oh, wow. So there you go. There's a completely useless piece of trivia for you. Is it on the Internet Archive? Can we find yeah, it? Yeah, so it'll be cdnair.ca, and it was launched in April 1994. So, wow. yeah, it uh, they were the first airline in the world. I met the Internet in October. No, it's September 1994, so it was even before I haven't been to the Internet. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that tells our listeners how old we are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was black and white. Okay, um, back to the story we opened the show with uh, last time, uh, Etihad and Lufthansa. So, no... Uh, Etihad didn't buy Lufthansa. No, Etihad didn't even buy a stake in Lufthansa. We don't know if it's still coming or not. The rumors are still flying. The two things. First, they did uh, an agreement. Uh, the 1st of February, they announced uh, an extended agreement. They already had some agreements from MRO, so uh, maintenance, repair, and operations. They are extending it. Lufthansa Technic will do uh, the maintenance for a lot of the Etihad uh, flights on the ground. But the other news that was already rumored in December is that the CEO of Etihad is stepping down. He is. Yeah, this is a pretty monumental thing, I think. He's not leaving till the end of the year or yeah. June. Yeah, I think mid. Yeah, I think mid year. June. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's mid year. Yeah. 
There were a lot of rumblings that things weren't quite what everybody hoped they would be. And I think perhaps he's paying the price for some aggressive acquisition activities and some not so successful ones. I think Alitalia is not proving to be the success that everybody hoped it would be. And same with Air Berlin. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, I mean, perhaps he's paying the price for it. I think they also have a stake in North Serbia and a few others. But yeah. Then, yeah, it's a, the idea was probably uh, very interesting to go in another direction, acquisition by growing uh, stakes in other airlines. But it didn't really it doesn't feel like a network it feels like stakes but not it yeah, never definitely really, doesn't feel like a network I, I thought they could have done something where you know the uh, real co-chairs i mean they are co-chairs i mean if you're looking for a flight from germany to to abu dhabi you might find stuff with air berlin i mean they are co-chairs uh, jet airways is another one in india but people are mostly complaining about jet airways if you go on a flight yeah i mean it's weird because they they've just launched well actually last year they launched this etihad aviation group which is this correct so it's Air Berlin, Air Serbia, Air Seychelles, Alitalia, Jet, Virgin Australia, and Etihad Regional, which is Darwin, isn't it, in Switzerland? An engineering division and then all the stuff that runs the airports. But like you say, it's not a cohesive network of interlining airlines. It's mm-hmm. this conglomerate of stakes in airline businesses. So, yeah. 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 It's it's very interesting to see what the future holds for them. And, and and I was talking about this with my father last night, actually, about who is going to be the new CEO, because that's a tough, tough job to walk into, I would imagine. Well, Christoph Müller is already at Emirates, right? <laughs> yeah, you He's know, so I reckon, uh, you know, and I think we've talked about this in the past, that he is the sort of heir apparent to the Emirates throne when, yes. when Tim Clark yes. decides to... To retire and and, and take his well-deserved break. But yeah, who knows who's going to walk into that one. Talking about MRO, uh, just a quick note to Jennifer Degelman, I think. She's uh, at AVWeekGen. So layovers.2 used to have a blog. The blog is still there, but we don't have time to blog. So basically, uh, it's only the podcast, at least for now. And But she found a graphic she wanted to use. And um, she actually writes for the mro-network.com. Oh, cool. uh, and uh, she's done a, an infographic about the fleet changes of Emirates uh, between 2007 to 2017. And it's actually really cool. If you love this kind of stuff, uh, infographics, it gives you an idea that basically, yeah, they're going all I triple sevens. that's fascinating. And thank you for crediting Layover's uh, their agenda. Uh, it was uh, really nice. Lufthansa, I didn't realize because I, I've never done it, but we've talked in the past about having the possibility to upgrade, you know, to bid for upgrade. Mm. Uh, and I think Lufthansa uses a different provider. I've seen it's called My Offer. So just wanted to mention it because if any of you guys has ever done it, I want to know how it is because I've yeah, never done too. it myself. And I fly quite a lot, uh, Lufthansa. I fly them again. Now they are not striking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They've also released a new version of their iPhone app. I, I don't have an Android, so I cannot tell Android. It, cool thing, it, it has a bit of this stupid feel. It gives you this uh, layout, you know, in a timeline manner. So now you should check in, and now you should check in your bags, and you should accept. Oh, nice. So I think it's very a, yeah, it's a nice idea. It's already a very well done app. I think it's one of the best, one of the few I actually use and actually have on my phone. The other I usually have them and I delete them right after the flight. This one I keep. Talking about these little apps, remember probably last year, guys, that I was trying the experiment of doing TripIt, WorldMate, yes. TripCase, Google Trips, and all of them. I still do it. So one use first, and then I'll go to my story about my previous flight, which will exemplify the use of those. But WorldMate is uh, shutting down. So uh, for those who have a premium and pay for it, I think you can get reimbursed, but WorldMate is shutting down. Most people I talk to either do Google Trips because they don't bother and it's automated or TripIt because uh, everybody uses TripIt. Yeah. I, I don't know a lot of people who use TripCase, which I like and I still use, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm a TripIt loyalist for as ugly as it is. <laughs> loyalist. It's actually it's actually getting better. Uh, the website is, is weird because now the website has some parts that is a new design and some parts the old design and a bit the same in the iOS app. Now the flight itself, you look for one leg of the flight as a new design, but the timeline is still the old designs is a bit like incremental (laughs) so uh my trip i keep on my promise to fly less than in 2016 also for my family matters but i really want to fly less i've only done eight legs last month (laughs) why eight legs because it was a stupid decision so i was supposed to go to both madrid for work and geneva for family reasons I could have done, obviously, the obvious one was to take like an easy jet or low cost to Madrid and then another low cost to Geneva and another low cost to come back. So all up and Joe, one legs. 
But when I looked online, I found that the price of doing it with Swiss, the whole thing was actually similar. So I said, you know, I will accrue miles. The only thing is I would have to do London, Zurich, Zurich, Madrid, Madrid, Geneva, Geneva, London, which, you know, say, why not? You know, I like flying like you do. I said, one more flight to go to Madrid shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, well, I was wrong because, of course, <laughs> the day I arrived at the airport, I immediately realized something is not going well. There's no announcements. Uh, Swiss doesn't tell me, you know, Swiss usually sends you a text when a flight is late. There's nothing on the board. TripIt is the only, and that's interesting, only out of World May trip case that tells me that there's a delay. I'm like, okay, one of them, usually they all beep. I get a notification the same instant. The no only uh, trip it. And I start like, okay, I'm going to look where the inbound flight is, you know, assuming that's the same. And yeah. they're like, oh, he hasn't even like taken off. Okay, right. There was fog both in Zurich and in London. So obviously that was probably the reason. I ended up arriving uh, late in Zurich. Uh, Tripit was telling me you have uh, six minutes to make the connection. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is possible because Zurich is super, super efficient. So it's possible. Now the thing is, just before I took off, and I was a little bit pissed because the Swiss customer care is not very reactive. You know, there's not a line for status holders. And they don't really reply on Twitter, even if you DM them. So I was, you know, at one point I got really a bit fed up and I sent them, okay, thank you for not replying or something. And then, you know, I had to switch my phone off. As soon as I landed in Zurich, I took my phone just to look, will I make that connection? Connection that would have been on a Bombardier CS100. So I was like, shit, I don't want to miss it. And the thing is, I will never know if I would have been able to make the connection. I have a feeling I would, but why? Because whilst I was in the air, somebody picked up my angry message on Twitter said, okay, you know, we dealt with your problem. We're assuming you're not going to have enough time in Zurich. We issued you two new boarding passes. So instead of going Zurich-Madrid, I had to do Zurich-Frankfurt-Madrid oh, <laughs> in, three, in 320s. A friend of mine, coincidentally, was in the lounge in uh, Zurich waiting for his flight to Sao Paulo. I think he's a listener to the show. Hi, Alan. At the same time I landed in uh, Zurich, he was uh, messaging me, Paul, your name is being called in the airport. You're late for no the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so one hand of Swiss didn't know what the other hand was doing. Yeah, exactly. So That's I rushed hilarious. out of the airplane. She had just had told me uh, we should new boarding cards, but I said, you know what? I have seven minutes. I have to go through passport control, but it's super fast. And the gate was literally the next one. I mean, it was literally two minutes away. So I started running, but as soon as I arrive at the end of the jet bridge, there's this uh, Swiss ground crew with two boarding passes printed out that says, hey, that's your next flight. And I'm like, oh, okay, I won't even bother because my booking has been altered already and I wouldn't have been able to get into it. But right. anyway, thank you, Swiss, for making this. That's why I had so many flights. Then before I go to the other part, this is where I come back to the apps. Do you use Google Trips at no. all? So Google Trips is fully automated. So it just reads your Gmail, finds the boarding passes and creates trips, which is very convenient. I quite like it. The only thing is, in such a case when you have to make a different flight, when you get a paper boarding pass, of course, Google is not aware of it and refuses steadfastly to make any alteration to your trip. So it becomes useless. Whereas a trip, it, I have to do it manually. I was able to manually change the name of the flight, add the, the other flights. And then obviously I would get the right notification. Same, same for a world mate and trip case. So just to say that Google trips also very good should let, and I've sent them that feedback, let people just change flights, you know, yeah, because sometimes it, it, it things happen, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you think Google uh, of all people would know that. Out of all of them, I think that trip case is the one that handles changes the best. Almost to the point of uh, obsession, because it's like constantly checking and constantly like telling you yeah. something's changed by <laughs> eight seconds, you know? But I think these apps, you know, for instance, I put my hotels in these apps as well, right? And I put uh, Me too. the check-in time, I put it usually like two hours after I land. These apps should be smart enough to know that if your flight is late, don't give me a notification about hey, it's time to check into your hotel. No, I haven't reached destination, guys, right? TripIt was silly enough that I couldn't delete a flight, but I could add two other flights. So I was at the same time huh. on the flight that I missed to Madrid and on the flight that I didn't miss to 
Frankfurt. Which, again, anyway. All that to say that I uh, arrived in the end the same day, thankfully so, because I had a meeting the next morning. I love Madrid. Interestingly, because we had done Madrid, I led it at Terminal 2. It's much better. I mean, it's older, but I mean, compared to that huge thing that Terminal, Terminal 4, 4 is. Terminal 4, I know where <laughs> The east part of Terminal 4 is basically in Italy, and the west part is in England, right? Because it's so big. Yeah. At least T2 is a human scale, so it was, it was nice. On the way out, same thing. Really nice. Actually, Terminal 2 and 3 are very close together. It's a bit confusing when you don't know it, but it's really nice. Uh, again, nothing special. It was really empty. Fast track was the only guy, so it was really, uh, really nice. That's good. Thanks to my status. And then, finally, finally, I flew the Bombardier CS100. Ah, uh, oh, so jealous. <laughs> Swiss is the launch customer and still the only customer who has the CS100. They only have five for the moment. From the outside, it looks like a mini Dreamliner. Yeah. And from the inside, it looks like a mini A350. The one thing that is striking when you see it for the first time is that the engines look almost oversized, right? Like it's a baby plane with big engines. Really? That's, I don't know. I don't know why I say that, but it's really cool, actually. This, this, this bird is amazing. So the configuration is 3.2, uh, slightly smaller than a 320, of course, and, and others. Of course, the, the interior was chosen by Swiss, but they made a very good choice. The cabin is very light, very white. That creates this kind of eerie feeling. The same feeling I had when I entered the Dreamliner, the same feeling I had when I entered the 350. What I really like about it, they also have drop-down bins. Really? There's more. There's more space. Wow! It almost looks like you're flying for a kind of mid-haul, long-haul, but you're in a smaller version of it or something. It's and the one thing that a lot of people will notice, which is again the case for all new aircraft, is super quiet. Yeah. Like it, compared to all the other aircrafts, it is to a three twenty that we always fly when we fly in Europe seven three seven. It's super, super quiet. It's smooth. It's. Uh, I can't wait to try it because I know that. They do it to city now. Yeah, uh, other airlines would have soon had it. Honestly, I, uh, I I really adore it. So I had to go and fly to Zurich, Zurich, Geneva. And I had 55 minutes in Zurich, uh, which is, again, more than enough. Of course, slight delay that reduced to 25 minutes. And I was like, eh, am I going to make it? Well, it just happened to be that when I was... Uh, waiting to go off the plane one of the attendants looked at me say oh you looked uh, a bit stressed i'm like yeah i have this flight to catch he said oh but you're with us so basically <laughs> i was going in the same aircraft with the same crew to oh Geneva. that's always fun when that happens same gate so that was fantastic and same seat actually exact same number i said can i leave my stuff in it <laughs> no okay well uh the fun bit here is that there were pre-boarding people, and usually you, you pre-board, you know, um, disabled people or old people and people with infants. And they were like pre-boarding like a group of 15 to 20. It was like, what's going on? And then the guy says, yeah, it's a fear of flying course. And I went online and I looked it up. Uh, so Swiss, Lufthansa, a lot of airlines offer it. The Swiss offer is that you have a three-day course with a therapist and psychologist and a ground craft. You have a pilot who does a lesson. You have also like a flight crew who does a lesson. You, they can visit the tower. They, on this one, I think That's they visit so the tower cool. in Geneva. They have a lesson with uh, an ATC to understand how, you know, flight traffic works. And then the end, the pinnacle is that flight. And I was telling them, oh, you guys, so basically your first flight, you're going to do it on a CS100. That's <laughs> lucky. <laughs> it's really interesting to me that it's very cool that they do that. But usually when they take you on a flight, it's a dedicated aircraft. That they were doing it on an operational flight is really interesting, but probably a very good idea. We applauded them at the end. I mean, the, oh, that nice. was really cool. Yeah, I think the, the pilot went on the on the PA and said, oh, we want to, you know, congratulate the guys who just did the course and the entire plane erupted in applause, which you don't usually see anymore. No. Unless you're like in a very dangerous country Apparently with a very dangerous aircraft. Russia, that's the thing, is applauding. And if any of you have flown in Russia, tell us. And a few other Eastern European countries I've, I've seen as well. That's Sometimes nice. people applaud. Yeah, I like it. I like it. A friend of mine, though, tells me, hey, I'm not getting applauded when I send a fax. Why should I applaud a pilot when he does his job? Oh, please. I don't agree. <laughs> a little different. <laughs> Sorry. I know. I'm just saying because it made me laugh when she told me that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, and Alex, the last thing I will say about that trip is that, boy, you know, we live in the UK. And for those of you who live in the UK or at least outside of Schengen, I'd forgotten how easy it was to transfer in airports when you are inside Schengen. You don't have any passport control, nothing. Oh, you man. I lost that sense because, of course, being in the UK, you have to go through passport control every time when you go to Europe. But it's it's kind of nice, actually, honestly. It feels it like is. the US, right? It feels like domestic in the US. Yeah, it is nice. I miss that. 
Yeah, I flew to Cologne actually this week and back out of London City. And even that, which is such a great and efficient airport, there's always, you know, like in Cologne Airport is, or pardon me, I flew to Dusseldorf but went to Cologne. You know, you get wonderful Dusseldorf terminal. But if you're going to a Schengen thing, you have to go to sort of like, you know, quarantine area. You don't have any shops or any restaurants or anything like that, which is such a shame. Still in Europe, a uh, little industry news. Have you seen that uh, Priceline bought uh, Momondo oh, yeah. for half a billion? Yeah, half a billion. Wow. So Momondo, because you might have known Momondo, the other site they operate is called Cheap Flights. Uh, sometimes when you Google, you might stumble upon it. So it's a sign of uh, another consolidation. I mean, Skyscanner was also bought by Chinese like a month ago for like one point some billion or something. Yeah. Uh, one point half billion pounds. That's that's a lot of money. So probably because, you know, everybody's scared of Google. No, I don't know. Yeah, it's, they're, it's consolidation. Every, yeah land grabs. I think that's absolutely <laughs> right. Still in Europe, still on low cost, uh, Ryanair. They don't want to install Wi-Fi because the equipment is too heavy. Mm. <laughs> that's weird. Know. It's not that heavy, is it? I guess their calculation is they don't have to pay too much fuel and the price they will charge. I mean, there's no some kind of algorithm and at some point they will go there. I'm, I'm, I think it's an inevitability with pretty much every airline in the next 10 years. You can make passengers pay for it. Yeah, you'll get your money back. Did you have any Wi-Fi on your latest flights? No, although I have to give credit. BA City Flyer, which is a, obviously a subsidiary of BA, Embraer 170, and I love those planes. Oh, yeah, I love them too. I was in Club Europe, which doesn't really mean anything except you're sitting in the first two rows of the airplane. The food was really, really good on oh, wow. both legs. It was very, the service was good. The flights were smooth and easy and on time. I was impressed. I mean, no Wi-Fi, none of that stuff. But given all the guff that BA had gotten for their buy on yeah. board and their short haul stuff, the food was outstanding. You know what? We really should invite someone, a specialist, because sometimes the food we have in planes is clearly dependent on the departure point, right? You can have, fly the same airline on the same route. You'll have great food sometimes, and on the way back, crappy food, right? Yes. And it's, I think we should find someone, or if some of you guys are listening, who either works in catering or in operations and can give us a bit of more of insight of how that works. We would love to, because we love both love food. I mean, Alex loves even more than me, but I would really dedicate an episode yeah on it would be so interesting food. and not front cabin plain food i'm talking about regular food that we have in economy right yeah so. absolutely our friend john bradford sent us a really interesting thing which i'd actually listened to live when it was on the bbc on, on radio 4 about how noise canceling headphones make airplane food taste better oh yeah, yeah 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 it's a radio clip that you should listen to but it was super interesting about how sound especially ambient noise affects the taste buds and that the quality of the taste is is perceptible when you have noise canceling headphones on by the way, guys, I was not paid by Sony to give my review <laughs> last because I had some comments about that. I'm still saying it's the greatest noise canceling headphones I ever had. I still use it. One thing I will say, so I degrade from 10 to 9.5. For some reason, in the Ether Terminal 2 Senator Lounge uh, from Lufthansa, there are batshit interferences that just make my headphones go completely wonky. I don't know. It cuts down. It suddenly seriously really? starts to work by itself. And, you know, I was in, in the lounge and I was putting my headphones up. I was like, I cannot, I, I, I cannot make them work. So I was like, huh. I, I have like still a few days to send them back and ask for a new pair. And then the rest of the flights were working. Really, there's something strange. I'm going to try to weird. read that. There must be, they say on the website that there might be a lot of interferences depending on some kind of signals or whatever. There must be something in that lounge. So guys, you are warned that they would stop by themselves and restart and they will call up Siri on my iPad. And I was that like, is what, what, so what? weird. Yeah, so 9.5, not 10, but I still love them and I haven't uh, returned them. A few other things before we move to the airport. Oh, first, yeah, since we're talking uh, in-flight, because I promised you guys I would talk about the flights I've done. The best is still for me, the new Turkish IFE. Why? Because not only the UI is great, snappy, the content, there's a lot of content, but there's two things. First, there's IMDB notes on each and every no one of way, the movie. that's and TV cool. So you know... Like, even for a random movie of the title you never heard of, and you say, oh, what is this? Like, you and me, like, you know, running out of options to buy to see. 
And maybe if IMDb has like, I don't know, 7.5 out of 10, you say, you know, I'll give it a shot. So I really like that. And the other thing, which I also found on Air France, is the little button that all IFEs should have, and even Emirates doesn't have, which is always called the best IFE, which is you touch and you go back 30 seconds. That's you know, a great get, idea. You get interrupted by the flight attendant for yep. food, or you need to listen to something. Uh, uh, how many times do you have to fiddle with a thing and go like 20 yep. hours? <laughs> I have to get so Thomas Cook have that feature on their IFE as well. You press the thing, go back 30 seconds. Wow. Even Apple doesn't have that on this video thing. It's only in Amazon Prime has like a 10 seconds going back. I mean, I just say that because I wanted to say it, it needs to be in every single aircraft that still has IFE. Well, since I just mentioned Amazon, uh, Amazon Video, Amazon Prime, uh, Amazon is building a huge cargo they hub really are. in Cincinnati. I think like $1.5 billion. They only disclose that they have 40 Boeing 767s. They must or will order more or will lease more because this is a massive hub. Yes, they are going all out on this. And I think it was a matter of time. FedEx and the UPS must be very worried because that's got the amount of money they must spend on that is just an incredible amount. So, yeah, but the, it makes sense. I mean, it's, it just it really does make sense for them to own that entire supply chain. And maybe one day we'll have passenger flights. Nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I wish. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I wish, you know, part of my prime subscription would be to get, you know, a certain amount of flights per year. <laughs> That's I would a great actually idea. Totally, I would totally go for that, honestly. Uh, two news about uh, drones. Uh, have you seen first? It was pretty staggering. Have you seen the, the show, the Super Bowl? Uh, yeah, wasn't that amazing? These drones that create the flag and stuff. Wow. I mean, it apparently it was pre-recorded because the FAA didn't allow drones to fly over, uh, of course, for the Super Bowl because of, you know, safety, safety risk, but also yeah. because he didn't want any drone to fall down on people. So it was pre-recorded. But still, wow. It, yeah, it, it, it was really, amazing. It was really cool. Drones in an airport, usually uh, when these two terms are mentioned together, it's bad news. But Atlanta used the drones to remap their entire airport, including all the runways and fields, etc. Because they want to expand, it was a cheaper option to do with drones. So drones can be actually something uh, very useful. It must have been quite something to make them fly. It's the biggest airport, still I think the biggest airport in terms of passenger traffic in the world. And you have to make drones fly to map the thing at the same time the planes are landing and taking off. That must be quite of an operation. Yeah, I wouldn't have wanted <laughs> to be responsible for that one. Airbus is still steadfastly saying that they will have a self-flying taxi by 2017 and they will test it this year. Do you really think that this will go anywhere? No, I don't think so. Not in the time frames that they're talking about. It's just, it's it's a big leap. But, you know, then again, we said the same thing about supersonic travel. And here we are with, uh, apparently, we're going to have an operational test of the boom in this year. Prove me wrong here, but prove me wrong. <laughs> and the last bit of news, you and me both love lounge access. Listeners, you know, long-time listeners will know that we like to arrive both early at the airport. Yes. So having lounge access is nice. <laughs> Mr. Buntut uh, missed his Air Asia flight to Kuala Lumpur uh, last year and then spent 18 days in Shangi feasting on breakfast and dinners and sleeping and watching movies and using the showers. You know how he did it. He remained in transit because he was downloading images of uh, passes by Cathay Pacific and Singapore Airline, doctoring them to put his name on it and then using them to re-access the lounge area. I love it. <laughs> he was arrested. Don't do it. Yeah, don't, but, yeah, that's fraud. But uh, <laughs> I love the story. How, how, look, you're supposed to take a flight and then suddenly your mind goes, oh, I'm going to stay for I'm three gonna... weeks in the airport. <laughs> I don't know. Usually, I don't know. You take the next flight. Yeah. Oh, well. About taking the flight. So you told us the story about getting to uh, Cape Town, but Cape Town itself, the airport, I don't know it. How is it? Yeah, it's good. It's, uh, it's improved a lot because they, I haven't been there in 14 years, but before the 2010 World Cup, they gave it a major overhaul, and it's a very functional airport. I have to give a shout out to very regular listeners, uh, Kobus and Rich, who... Uh, oh, yeah, you met them. We, I mean, yeah, yeah. Not only that, they had done such a, a huge amount of work... Um, oh, wow. To, ...to provide us with such great information for uh, on Cape Town for Attaché that we really couldn't wow. have done the episode without them. So thank you guys so much. Uh, both ultra uh, travel and aviation and airline geeks like us. So we spent a lot oh, of time talking guys. about that over some beautiful South African wine and biltong. So thank you guys so much. 
Uh, in fact, actually, Cobus just posted some amazing pictures of the new South African Airways A330 business class product, which looks really, really good. Mm. But yeah, it's a good little airway. It's, it's bright and airy. We landed at the same time as a BA747, an Emirates 777, a Qatar something. So immigration was a long yeah there was only like four people doing immigration it took about an hour to get through <laughs> but it's nice we got a rental car which is right there and zoomed away it's pretty close to like 20 minutes from town and then you have when you come into the airport you've got the standard security which was fine but you also have outbound immigration which took a little bit of time as well so it's important to buffer in some time there they have a a tiny paid access lounge, which I use my, um, what the hell is it called? Priority pass. Thank you. I use my <laughs> priority pass to go into for 15 minutes, but it was, it was well stocked and fine. They were cool. Actually, when I was, when I've left Cape Town airport in the departure lounge, they were doing a live demonstration of traditional South African song and dance and music, which was really, really neat. A nice way to leave the country. And then of course, a weird collection of airlines. You've got You've got all of the South African carriers, so Kalula and Comair, which is a British Airways subsidiary. Weird to see next generation 737s in BA colors. You've also got, uh, when I was there, there was a beautiful Illusion. I think it's an oh, IL-74. Yeah. Just sitting there, that was, uh, what's the big Russian cargo carrier? Oh, no, a 76, Illusion 76. Is that the one you sent me the picture? Yeah, that's uh, the one I, I sent the picture of. It's just a... I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, strange-looking yeah. airplane. And that was Airbridge Cargo, I think. They have the uh, the bigger Illusions as well. Also on the, on the airport is Thunder City, which is an operator of English Electric Lightning fast jets that you can go up in. Wow. Uh, yeah, so you see those tooling around from time to time but yeah it's a good airport great location food wise which is obviously very important to me there's a, yeah there's a lot of stuff around i liked it it's a it's a good little airport and the departure lounge overlooks the runway so lots of, nice. of opportunity with big floor to ceiling you know 50 foot high windows yeah i like it i mean you know, Cobus and Rich, who, who, you know, I just mentioned, they fly out of there a lot. So maybe they have some different <laughs> feelings of that airport. But I thought it was great. Well, there's two things I know about this airport. First, it's that I think Cape Town to Joburg is one of the busiest routes in the world. Probably yes. in the top 10. Yes. So uh, most of the traffic is actually there, <laughs> uh, which is amazing. He also got uh, elected a few times like best airport in Africa by Skytrax. Yeah, I can believe and the that. Other, the other thing, because we had done an episode about Joburg, the one where your father, I think, was on it was yes. episode 22. And we said that Joburg is very high. Well, this one is actually almost a sea level, right? It is a sea level, yeah, pretty much. And it's a spectacular approach. So we had a fun little trick up our sleeves for the uh, episode of Attaché. So keep your eyes peeled for that because we got some pretty spectacular yeah, I know, footage. I know. I'm so um, jealous. Oh, the one thing I think is worth mentioning is that, uh, and again, thank you to Cobus and Rich for this piece of intel, is the best way to get into town from Cape Town Airport is actually Uber. Oh, Uber's okay. all over Cape Town. There's a there's a bus service called My City Bus, which is also very, very good, or renting a car. But yeah, Uber is it's all over the place, and it's probably the cheapest and best way to get into town from the airport. Well, there you go. I need to actually visit that airport. I mean, of course, visit the city and the wineries, which are just north, I think, of yes. the city. I uh, really need to do that route one of these days. Uh, I promised a few friends who live in South Africa, I promised them every year I'll come and every year I fail to. So even though I promised myself that I would not fly too much this year, probably I will enhance quality over quantity. And I yeah, might actually do that one. <laughs> I'm actually go to uh, South Africa. On that, Alex, uh, any flights coming up for you? Probably. Uh, <laughs> As always. <laughs> at the end of March, I'm taking the whole family to Hong Kong and to... Ishigaki Island in Japan. So uh, that that I, I hate you. I'm mean, <laughs> looking forward you know to what? that. I think we will. I know the story because you told me. We'll tell the story. We'll do Ishigaki Airport when you get yes, there. Yes, good and idea. We'll tell the story why you went there because I love that backstory. <laughs> but that's let's keep the, the suspense, you know, built for our listeners. So of course, we we'll, we will record before. Yes, before then, I promise you. Yeah, that. I, I'm sure I'll be going. So I might take uh, a couple of short trips between now and then. As yeah, well. I'm, I'm, I'm limiting myself to short trips. So again, Madrid is coming up again, Athens, and again Geneva. So uh, you know, I'm running in the same airports, but actually, it's a nice routine to do. 
First big trip won't be before April for me either. So, uh, I mean, long haul. So, uh, guys, to next time, probably in the next two weeks, I promise you that we are more regular. Happy travels. Safe travels, guys.